BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. That was when I truly learned that maybe I should trust myself. You know, maybe it wasn't even only about the lashes. Maybe I should trust myself. Maybe I have something. Maybe there's this desire of the products that I want for myself. What if I made them available for people? You know, and that, that kind of changed the way I thought about things. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Welcome back to Breaking Beauty Podcast, everyone. So as you guys are probably aware, we are your hosts. I'm Carlene, and this is Jill. Hey, Jill. Hey, Carlene. Hey, you guys. And if you're a new listener, welcome. We are two beauty editors turned podcasters who started the podcast back in 2017. And we have a few different types of shows that we produced for you guys. We have our episodes dedicated to trailblazing beauty brand founders. And that's when we give you the backstory behind the breakthrough products and beauty that we really love and we think we're game changers. Totally. Hashtag founders rule. <laughs> Exactly. Plus, we have our glowdowns where we interview the breakthrough personalities in the industry. And we have our damn goods episodes where we share our own personal product reviews. And today we have a founder episode that is so special. It's one of our favorite interviews that we've done to date. I think we can both agree, mm -hmm. Carlene. And we are yep. sitting down with none other than Huda Katan. She is the founder and CEO of Huda Beauty. Yes. And our chat took place bright and early because she lives with her husband and daughter in Dubai, of course. So my tea was like a triple bagger. But Huda practically doesn't even need an introduction. The Iraqi-American makeup artist was an OG in the YouTuber space, which she started along with her blog back in 2010. And in 2019, Forbes has listed her as one of the richest self-made women alongside Oprah Winfrey and Kylie Jenner. So in very good company. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I kind of think of Huda as like this generation's Estee Lauder. I mean, she is mm -hmm. a pioneer in so many ways. And first of all, she created a global beauty brand based in Dubai that's really never been done before. And she's still one of the most followed personalities on Instagram with 47 million followers. So I think mm -hmm. that pretty much tops anyone that we've ever spoken to in the history of our show. And of course, she's landed on the cover of Vogue in Arabia and in India. And she's also been featured in Women's Wear Daily. She's like one of the goats when it comes to internet-based beauty brands because, let's face it, any personality can start a beauty business these days. Oh, and they are. House labs. But they're not all, <laughs> But they're not all going to be around in five, 10 years, and they're not all going to be valued at $1 billion. And Huda Beauty has achieved that. 
absolutely have to give her props. And, you know, she's a trained makeup artist herself. And today, Huda will be sharing the full origin story behind the building of her brand, which she co-founded with her sisters, Mona and Alia Katan, back in 2013. And it all started with false eyelashes, major key when it comes to getting ready for those makeup tutorial videos she was doing all the time, of course. And they were an instant hit at Sephora. And now Huda Beauty employs more than 250 people around the world. And there's a full range of makeup with more than 100 SKUs. And honestly, her eyeshadow palettes have become the best sellers. I feel like Huda Beauty is kind of known for its eye category as a whole now, and that's perfect for when we're all wearing masks. Jill, I see you've got the new nude eyeshadow palette there. That's the bestseller, right? That's right. And this came out a couple of years ago, but I can see why it still is one of the top sellers for the brand because it has 18 eyeshadows in it and there's a mixture of textures. So there's like buttery mattes and these reflective shadows, and then there's two pressed glitters. So, but you can tell that there's like a curation happening here that these Mm -hmm. shadows are going to actually show up on all skin tones and there's like really deep berry colors and mauves but there's also nude hues that will show up on all skin tones and I really Mm -hmm. loved playing with this especially with these pressed glitters and they actually stay put on your on your eyes they don't end up looking like you're crying glitter at the end of the day so Mm -hmm. I just think that it's really become a staple for a good yeah, reason. Yeah, I think the quality is a testament to Huda being a makeup artist herself. And I noticed there was no fallout when I used it actually this morning. Amazing. And Huda is just not slowing down. She launched Wishful Skincare earlier this year. They are constantly having new drops. The Get Even Rose Oil just launched this past week, which apparently Huda has nicknamed her Magic Oil. We're going to find out why a little later in this episode. And she's a huge philanthropist. She donated $500,000 to the NAACP in support of Black Lives Matter. And Huda and her sisters and her husband, who helped run the company, they all chose to forego their 2020 salaries. They also pledged to donate $100,000 to 100 different freelance makeup artists who are, of course, struggling with a lack of work during Mm -hmm. COVID. And, you know, even just last week, I saw she was raising money for the victims of the Beirut, Lebanon, Black. So she's really thinking global with this brand in every aspect. And and thinking responsibility, which totally. I think is, is so important. So let's get into our chat with Huda. In today's episode, she gives us the real talk on what it's like being an entrepreneur. She actually gets kind of emotional telling us how growing a business has impacted her marriage and her family. You'll also find out some fun stuff, like what her number one spendy skincare item is that she says is completely worth the spend, along with the self-care practice she's adapted during her quarantine routine. It involves future energy. Yeah, she actually said, do you want to hear something crazy? And you and I were like on the edge of our seats. So a little (laughs) teaser for that. And be sure to check out our Instagram feed at Breaking Beauty Podcast because we're going to have a very special giveaway of some Huda Beauty makeup products, some of her fragrance products, and some of the new Wishful Skin products. So be sure to stay tuned over there. So here she is, Huda Katan. We're going to get you to travel back in time. Cue the dream sequence music. (laughs) So tell us about your earliest beauty memories as a child. My earliest beauty memories. Okay. So we, we didn't grow up with a lot of money, so I didn't necessarily have a lot of makeup growing up. 
So I actually remember it, my, my earliest beauty memories were all DIYs, like legit. Like that's all we were doing. My first thing that I ever learned was like lemons, like using like lemon juice to like get rid of dead skin and, and things like that. So that was like always my thing. It was like, my sister taught me, you put like a little bit of brown sugar on like a half of a lemon and you like scrub your body with it. <laughs> and um, it was like really, it was just like the best thing. And I, I honestly was like, oh my God, like I am like a beauty guru because I know how to yeah. do this now. <laughs> I felt like I had like secret. That's hilarious. Cause I know your videos, like you do so many hacks. So you've been hacking since like age eight. I love it. Yeah, really, <laughs> truly. <laughs> and so where, where did you grow up? Where was your family living? So we grew up actually in the South in Tennessee. So I am like Southern. It's funny. My parents are, um, we're immigrants. We're, uh, my family immigrated to, um, from Iraq to America, but my sister and I, Mona and I were born in Oklahoma. Then we moved to Tennessee, but I feel more Southern than anything else. Yeah. I loved growing up in the South. It's very sweet there. You know, it's very, I feel like things are a little bit slower, but they were very sweet also. Very simple. Do you have a favorite country music artist, Huda? <laughs> I mean, I feel like everybody loves Shania Twain. Canadian. Um, but, but we had some very sad songs as well. <laughs> it's true. Sad. It's true. <laughs> little emo. It can be really sad, yeah. <laughs> and I know that, um, you know, you've been really vocal and talked openly about like not fitting in or feeling like you didn't fit in as a kid in your hometown. Like, can you tell us about that? Cause yeah. I feel like so many people can relate to that. Yeah. And I think it's like, sometimes it's a matter of like, you know, the way you look, sometimes it's a matter of just like, you know, feeling different. Um, and for me, it was kind of both of those things. So, you know, we grew up in a pretty much very small town. Well, I lived in a city actually when I was in university, but grew up in the town my entire life, um, pretty much. So it was like, it was always like very, like very small, very intimate, but it was also, you know, very white. And I always felt like an outsider. Um, one, because my parents, um, we didn't always have a lot of money and my dad always tried to put us in like better parts of the city. And so it was like, you know, when we were living like in less affluent places or like places that were more challenging, it was like, I felt more like I fit in. And then when we moved into like places so we could go to better schools, it's hard sometimes. And I definitely feel like some kids can be really mean. It was definitely probably not like, I feel like my childhood is actually, I don't have very good memories and I, I don't like going back in time. It's funny because people are like, let's take a trip down memory lane. I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I feel like all of those things that I've worked through are actually, you know, shedding all those, those, like those beliefs that I had about myself. Like I had so many just really like sad, like, and doubtful thoughts about myself, like pretty much till I was about 26, you know? So I actually don't like going down memory lane very much. I don't like it. Please not do it. No, we'll do it, but I don't want to. Well, like Jill said, a lot of people I think can relate on this topic. And we did have a question from one of our listeners in our private Facebook chat room. Her name is Jasmine. Shout out Jasmine. And she said, Hey, Jasmine. So she has a question for you. She said, as a fellow bicultural Iraqi, I really wonder what it was like for her to grow up between two cultures and whether she's felt any cultural pressure or received any backlash when becoming such a prominent figure. Has she had to make any sacrifices, adapt herself? Is it something you're strategic about? I totally get why that's such an important question because we live, my sister said something to me and it was really profound for me. It was like, and I felt like I was living my life forever like this, but we don't like it's it was it was I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I'm what <laughs> I think you think I am. And that's the truth, you know? It's like it's we have these thoughts about what people think about us or what people expect from us and then we live according to that. 
I remember seeing my parents and I remember seeing, you know, the way that they were living. And I just remember not wanting to do a lot of the things that they were doing. And it's just, you know, it's hard. And especially when you become a popular person or you're, you're a person in the public eye, like living according to people's like their opinion, you will never win. And so at a certain point, you just have to think about what's more important. You know, that's always going to probably be important, but what is more important to you? It's important to think about like, who do you, who's living your life? Like whose life is it? And yeah, it's it's not easy to kind of make that sacrifice and to think about like, well, I'm going to go full force and make the decisions that I want and yeah, and deal with the backlash and and try to turn it off and to ignore those people and to, to like not give them, you know, mind space. It's really Mm -hmm. hard. It's not easy to do. Sometimes I literally, I, I remember spending like, you know, I did this, didn't connect to my phone for like a week. And I was like, you know what, if it's important, Mm -hmm. somebody will tell me. And that's like, I, like, I feel like it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but no. can you actually imagine like disconnecting <laughs> like from your phone? Hand <laughs> off. <laughs> take <Yeah>. anything. <laughs> take anything. Just don't take my phone. But, uh, you know, it can be kind of freeing as well. And so you, know, you kind of have to make that like that decision. Like what is more important to you living your life for you or living your life for everyone around you? Yeah, will never be point. happy. Mm-hmm. And getting back to your upbringing, we want to know, what was your very first job? Was Huda at the mall? Was she serving up fries? What was going on? I was at the mall. <laughs> I was at the mall. <laughs> so I was actually working at this, like, it was a very like urban store and we were selling like all this like dope clothing. Like, um, I don't know if you guys know these brands, like Inichi. Yeah, and yeah. Here's a rock aware. And <laughs> I was like 16. Um, and I was definitely like, I was working with all these like really cute girls and they were like older than me. And I was very, I was 16 at the time. And they were like, they were always like going to like clubs and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God, I want to, I want to sneak in. Like, I just like, I want to go out with them so bad. And so I actually started hanging out with, um, you know, this, this group of girls who still to date, I keep in touch with, um, with some of them. Um, it was, it was like, it was crazy because, you know, now looking back to, it, I don't know how I didn't get in trouble or get hurt or <laughs> we were, we were like out all the time. <laughs> I don't know. My parents didn't find out. Yeah, that's a skill when you're a teenager. It's like the double life. Yeah, I know it well. Changing in a car is a skill when you're a teenager. Is it true that you met your husband, Chris, when you were just 16? I understand there's a prom pic floating around the internet somewhere. Yeah, we were actually 17 in that pic, but I actually met him while I was working at that store. So he had had just come back from the Marines and um, he was like recruiting people. Yeah, he was in the mall and I was like, oh, he's not. He's not a serious guy. He's a joker. He's a player. Yeah. <laughs> and he won my heart. <laughs> and so you guys have been together for many years. And I understand that you, after high school, you left the mall. So you went to college. Tell us about that. Like we know that you were like an honor student and you even like spoke at your graduation. It's kind of funny because when I was in high school, I actually was like the opposite. I was like barely graduated high school, to be honest. I think I graduated like one of the last people in my class. And I just wasn't serious about school. I just wanted to like, I just wanted to like have a good time. But when I got to university, I feel like I did what most people, like the opposite of what most people do. Most people get to college and they actually start partying. And I was like, oh my gosh, like now I need to think about my future and I need to be, I need to be serious. And so I got really nerdy. I became like that nerd who would like fuck up the curve (laughs) for everyone. And like, you know, I was, I was that person. I was that annoying person. Did you take finance? Got into business. I always knew I loved business. I just love the aspect of business. Um, to be honest, I loved marketing. And I, I feel like marketing was always like a bit more of my forte. But my sister was like, oh, no, no, you love, you love numbers. Like you need to do finance. And I was like, okay, like, you know, maybe she's right. 
and I do love math and all these things. And I, and I did it. And I was like, very quickly, I started failing my courses and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> why did I do this? I cannot do this. And then I was like, okay, like, you know, I have to like, I had a really high GPA. So I was like, oh my God, I can't let this happen. I need to graduate with honors. So like, I had to redo all these courses. And by that time I was like stuck, I was like done. You know what I mean? It was like, it was, it was the worst thing I'd ever <laughs> listened to my sister about. Um, luckily she impacted, like, she was the one who told me to start yeah. laughing. So I forgave her for that. <laughs> And then, so yeah, how did the makeup thing happen? Tell us about what went on with with you and your sister. I feel like in my head, I never felt like I was a cute kid. I got into makeup from a very, very young age and and I didn't think it was going to become a career. I, I definitely thought like, you know, it's not serious. Like makeup isn't a serious business, but I always loved it. It was always like kind of a hobby. I, I like, I just, I felt like it, Mm-hmm. It was something I would do for free. You know, I would never make a business out of it. I never thought like in a million years mm-hmm. we would make money off of it. Um, I thought if anything, my blog would actually become like maybe more of like a like a magazine, you know, and maybe one day hopefully support my family. But coincidentally enough, like mm-hmm. we did get into makeup and that became the business that supported everyone. So you actually trained as a makeup artist, right? In in LA and you would like mm-hmm. right to the top, you're working with like Nicole Ritchie and Eva Longoria and everybody. And then mm-hmm. how did you, so you started your blog in 20, 2010, which is 10 years ago now. And really what made your channel so different, I think (laughs) it was like, you weren't just like reviewing products, but you were actually doing like these secrets. You're like, this is how you look better in a photo. Like, you know, this is what makeup artists do. What really made your blog take off at the time? Like, was there a particular trick or secret that you became known for essentially? I personally didn't like to do tutorials. I really didn't. But I always thought there was like so many amazing artists out there, like Pixie Woo. And, you know, they would spend so much time. They had all the lighting. They had the equipment. I didn't have any of that. Like, I, you know, it was always like me, like in a dark room, like putting my camera on books, like trying to shoot. And I was like, I was like, I know I need to like invest in this. It's just like, you know, I, I was like, I was not in the space at the time to do that. So it was like, it was a little bit um, of a challenge to like do the actual tutorials on YouTube. But the, but the feedback I kept getting was like, you need to do more tutorials. Like everybody wanted to see like the transformation, especially like, you know, like there were, there wasn't really that many bloggers and still to the state, like, especially like, you know, for like a brown girl, like there's so many different types of bloggers, but still like, you know, South Asian, Arab, Middle Eastern, North African, there isn't that much representation still. And so, you know, to some extent still like, I feel still to the same people always want to see that transformation on somebody who looks a little bit like them. And I was like, no, 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 no. Go to Pixie Woo. Go to, you know, all these people who are doing an amazing job. And they're like, no, we want somebody who has eyes like ours, who has this, who has the same things that we have. And so, um, you know, I was doing them here and there, but really, to be honest, the thing that took our blog, like, like it literally was like that point was when we launched our lashes. So for, I feel like for the first like year or so, there wasn't really that much traction at the time too, like beauty blogs still had not completely taken off. Like the only blog at that time that was kind of doing a little bit more lifestyle was like cupcakes and cashmere. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know oh, if you guys yeah. remember like cupcakes mm-hmm. and cashmere. That name is just so her. of that. Loved era. her. <laughs> yeah, that was the time. So it was like Satatorialist was like up there, you know, and, um, you know, it wasn't that many blogs. And so it was like, you know, doing something that was just beauty oriented and a little bit like, you know, who's Mm -hmm. this person with her opinion? It was a little bit of a nuance. And I felt like maybe at the time people weren't ready for it. So, you know, it was, it was funny Mm because people in the Middle East were eating it up. But as far as like global appeal, we just didn't have it. We just really didn't have it. It was what I wanted so Mm -hmm. bad, but we just didn't have it. So I was very, very patient, you know, and and until we launched our lashes about three years later, that was when Mm -hmm. everything just kind of opened. You know, people were like, oh my God, what are these lashes that are launched in 
have launched in Sephora Dubai. Like we want some of that. You know, you did become hugely influential. I understand at one point you were being, being sent like a thousand products a month and probably through collaborations and promotions, you could have just kept doing that. So why did you decide to start a makeup line or, you know, I know it started with lashes. I read that you had to be talked into it. So how did that happen? I don't know. I didn't take it that seriously. I don't think I took myself that seriously, you know, unfortunately. And so at the time my sister had seen so much demand and people were coming to her constantly and they were like stopping her in restaurants and like in bathrooms. And they were like, Oh my gosh, like, please like tell Huda, like the lashes that she's making we want them. And I was legit just buying these like, you know, dollar store or whatever lashes and then cutting them all up together, gluing them together, cut like buying like a Mac lash. Like literally it was like the most like DIY, <laughs> like, just <laughs> hacker for DIY. life. <laughs> DIY. <laughs> it was like a makeshift lash, you know, it was like, it was just, it was ridiculous. And, um, it, and making it too was actually really complicated because like I wanted like a lot of length and I wanted like a little bit of a flick in the, you know, it was just, it was, it was honestly a nightmare. And so people were like, oh, you know, like, please get us like your lashes. And I was like, you know, honestly, I feel like if we could just find better lashes for people to buy, that will, that would be like a huge, like a huge opportunity for people because people want better things and they just, they can't get them. Like they don't know where to go. Most people, if you want to buy really good beauty supplies, people just don't know where to go. And so my sister who, you know, my sisters are, are really wonderful. She saw that, uh, Mona, she saw that as an opportunity. She was like, girl, like, let's, let's do this. And I was like, no, 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 not for me. Business. No, nope. Not that person. Not taking people's money for product, not doing it. And then she actually was like, let me find the lashes. Let me do it. Let me find the styles. If you like it, will you launch it? And she actually came to me and like brought me this whole catalog. I was able to like pick some things out. And I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, like we could actually maybe do this. Like, this is incredible. I feel like at the time Sephora didn't have like a lash gondola. You know, that's not where you, you went to the Mac store to buy lashes. You went to the drugstore to buy them. So what was, what was your moment when you went in there? Many retailers told us no. Sephora US were like, absolutely not, not happening. Um, you know, I was like blind emailing all these retailers in the UK, which now we're selling with, but I was like emailing all these people in here. It's like, you know, number one blog in the Middle East launches lashes. Like I was trying to do all these things and I was like, email them all the time on repeat every day and no response. And, uh, and then I basically, I had gotten the opportunity to meet with um, this, this wonderful man who was newly, he was like newly heading up Sephora. And I had heard that he was like more, he wasn't like a box, you know, he wasn't square. He was like very like into like open, like open-minded, like wanted to see like what the world had to offer. He was like really shaking it up for Sephora Middle East. And I was like, okay, get me a meeting with this man. Like, tell me what you want. Do you want me to like review one of your products? Like, tell me what you want. Like, what do you want? Like, and, um, and so they, they were like, okay, look, we'll, we'll give you a meeting. It's all you, like you have to sell. If he doesn't like you, you're done. That's it. End of story. There's nothing else that's going to move forward. Like your last stream is like kind of done. And I was like, oh my God, like I need to make this meeting happen. I didn't have a finished package. I didn't have anything. All I had was this white tray and like some lashes in it. So I basically, I had to bring this to life. I had to let this, you know, this man, his name is David. Um, I had to let him like, kind of like envision what this would look like. And, and to honestly take a chance on a blogger because they had never done that before. They had never launched anything from bloggers. Like, and the story at the time, the narrative was like, you know, no blogger had ever reached success within product. There was Michelle Fan who had who had just launched like a year before that with um with M Cosmetics and there was a lot of things I think aside from Pixie Woo um, with their beautiful brushes like you know it was a challenge for bloggers like how could you translate 
from like a following um, to actual product. And, um, and so that was the first thing, as soon as I walked in, he, first thing he said to me, he was like, this doesn't really work. And I was like, oh my God, no, this is going to be a good meeting. <laughs> and uh, I had to bring it to life and I had to, I had to sell him on the, the, what it could be. And um, luckily for me, he, he was a visionary and he could see it really open-minded. And he was like, let's, let's try this. And if it goes well, let's see what happens. And it was one of the most successful launches for a product to date for them. I'm um, not to date today, but to that date. Um, so they were like, okay, something is here. I thought you were going to say you put the lashes on David. I thought that's what there, <laughs> that was going. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, he was cool, but he, I don't think he would let me touch him. <laughs> um, and now did you design these especially because, or, you know, were they unique in some way? Yeah. So the first lot that we launched, we like, basically I was too, I, I didn't feel comfortable enough actually making the pieces that I made. Like I didn't feel comfortable. I was like, you know what? Like I'm going to take the the ones that are like standard and I will like adjust them a little bit here and there. And I was like, I was asking really crazy questions to the manufacturers. Like who reduced one millimeter here and reduce like who add a piece there. But I didn't feel comfortable enough doing the stacks of lashes that I was making. And actually I remember the first time we did was Samantha or Samantha lash. Where I was like, you know what? Why don't I just release people like the stacked lash, you know, what people are actually saying on us. And I remember that was the first of, of its kind of the time. Um, it's been like totally replicated so many times, but people were like, oh my God, like, and it became like a paradigm shift, honestly, um, you know, for our brand, but also within the lash industry too, because I felt like all of a sudden people were like, okay, you don't have to have thick lashes that are so intense. You can have like thick at the base, long at the, you know, at the tip and a little bit more of a different shape. And um, that was when I truly learned that maybe I should trust myself. You know, maybe it wasn't even only about the lashes. Maybe I should trust myself. Maybe I have something. Maybe I, there's this desire of the products that I want for myself. What if I made them available for people? You know, and that that kind of changed the way I thought about things. We need to get a tip from you about applying lashes because I still think there is a bit of a, you know, people are a little bit nervous to try them or they don't really know how to do it. What's your best application tip? Because I do feel like falsies are having a moment now. People aren't getting as many lash extensions and and that kind of thing. So they're trying them out. Maybe they haven't um, touched them in a while. I definitely, um, I think you have to find a good glue, a glue that you love. And everybody likes different glues. Like some people love the House of Lashes glue and that's like their holy grail. Some people love the duo glue. Some people like, you know, love our black glue. Um, for me, that's my holy grail just because it's, I find lash glue. It's like, how long do you have to wait for it to dry? I, I always find that a little bit tricky. Ours, I like it because you just apply it right away. So, I mean, depending on your use and where you are, um, I know House of Lashes people like it a lot too. You know, you have to find a glue that you're comfortable with. And then that for me is everything. Um, and then I, I think if you're a, like a novice lash user, um, cutting them is like one of the easiest things. I think people get scared, but like, just like mess around with them. And, you know, try cutting them. Don't cut them too much in the beginning. Stick the pieces you cut on your eyes. Lashes are, I feel, so expensive. So people are afraid to cut them. But, um, but you can definitely reuse them, keep them. Um, I, like, even though, like, I pay cost price for the lashes, I still reuse them. I hate throwing them away. I reuse and abuse until they fall off the band. Yeah, you actually have some really good TikToks on cleaning false lashes, which I was really into seeing. Um, they're like this macro lens and showing like how you do it. And I was like, this is great info. So check those out, you guys. I understand that your daughter was just a newborn when you started the company and you've been outspoken about how 
you know, your marriage suffered at in those early days. And I think that's something other entrepreneurs can definitely relate to. How did you manage to change course to get your family life back on track while also growing your business? That was one of the hardest times of my life because I honestly thought that I was going to lose my marriage. And it was it was kind of hard because one of the most challenging periods. And I feel like people look at our brand now and, you know, they're like, oh, wow, you know, like this is, this is kind of cool. Like I could do this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you need to be really patient and you need to know the nightmare that you're going to go through in order to get to this place where still it's not all peaches and cream, <laughs> you know, but there's like, there is a long time of like, you know, so much sacrifice. I think the best way to describe it is just like every type of sacrifice. It's personal sacrifice. It's your health sacrifice. It's your relationships sacrifice. It's sacrifice on every single um, you know point. It's it's financial sacrifice, and uh, and that's really truly what happens in the beginning of starting a business. And and I don't think people are really always mentally prepared, or you know whatever prepared in every in any aspect. And sometimes the relationships around you are also not prepared. And you know it can be a make and break moment for a lot of people. Um, you know I definitely I honestly became so depressed at one point. I think um, we launched a brand in 2013 and 2015. I became so, so depressed because of all the challenges of having, you know, with my marriage, to be honest. And my husband was always really kind, always would always give me like a lot of, you know, he always believed in me, but our relationship was definitely in in a bad place. You know, we struggled a lot. Um, It was, it was, it was hard. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that we did, which was really important for me was you know, he was honest. He was always honest with me. I think the thing that made it the hardest, and and as a female, I feel like it's important is like, you know, I feel like as, you know, it wasn't necessarily the beginning part. I'm trying not to get emotional because I'm getting emotional talking about it. Um, It wasn't necessarily the beginning part because that was, that was hard. Like he understood the sacrifice then. That was, that was really challenging, but people don't talk to you about what to do when you actually start to be successful. Right. Because all of a sudden, like the first two years nightmare, right. That was hard getting the brand, like getting like actual cash flows into a place where we could like afford product, um, you know, like to buy actual product and, and to be like, you know, managing inventory and all those, like the nightmare that goes with running a business that you have to learn. But what happens when the business actually starts to, to take off? And that happened for us in 2015, a little bit, like towards the second half of 2015, 2016 is really when things change. But in 2015 and, um, you know, things started to get really challenging and my husband actually joined us and he was really honest with me. He was like, you know, I'm struggling because I've always been the provider. And now all of a sudden I'm no longer the provider. Um, You know, it's really yourself and it's the business. And even my father had a hard time with it. And I was like, this is not fair. It's so hard because men become who, when they're successful, you know, it's all of a sudden like they're celebrated. And for women, it's not that easy. Well, I really appreciate like how candid you are on that topic because we talked to so many founders and I think nobody talks about that part. Exactly what you said, all the sacrifices that there are along the way and changing dynamics. It is. It is. It's such a sacrifice. And like the mental and the emotional and the relationship sacrifice um, is so challenging. My husband, luckily, he was so honest with me. You know, he was like, I'm really struggling with this because, you know, I I know a lot of men would probably tear their wives down and say really horrible things, you know, to because they wouldn't be able to deal with it. My husband was just really honest with me, which I found I respected him so much for it, you know? And honestly, like the thing is like, he wasn't giving himself enough credit because he was the one who pushed me continuously and, you know, did so many great things, but our relationship really went through a very difficult time when that, that shift happened. Oh 
Hey, this is Alexis Haynes. Join me every Monday for a new episode of my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, I'm here to deliver intimate conversations and expert insights to empower you on the road towards authentic wellness. So are you ready to recover from reality? I think a lot of people want to know about your routine, Huda, and like, are you part of the 5 a.m. club? Like, what do you personally do to stay grounded? Because there's so many demands on you. Do you want to hear something crazy? Yes. <laughs> really into feng shui, like super into feng shui. Um, I believe in the space and energy, like like the um, the energy and spaces. I can feel it. Like a lot of people are sensitive to space, like to people energy. Like they'll be like, oh my God, that person gave me bad vibe or I felt this. I actually don't really feel that as much. I am very sensitive. When I walk into a room, I'm like, Oh my God, no, I need to leave. Um, and I've been like crazy accurate, like my entire life. Like even when it came down to where I'm picking my space. Um, and there've been some times where like, for instance, I walked into this one house actually on Hood of Boss season one, we rented this house and I walked in and I was like, Oh my God, the energy here is so rancid. It's so bad. And my entire family got sick. Like we all got strep throat, like the worst strep throat. It was just like bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. It was just bad place. And so I've always been like very sensitive to spaces. So I'm, I'm really into feng shui and my feng shui master read my, you guys have to get your feng shui read. It's so cool. Uh, <laughs> but she explained my entire life. And one of the things that she said is she's like, you know, you, your energy is very like, it's from the future. So she was, I was, I was like, I'm really future. And she's like, you're from the future. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but um, I sat down the other day and she was like, probably one of the reasons why you're so sensitive to trends, why you always like kind of feel like you know what's going to happen beforehand is because your energy is from the future. I don't know the whole thing. It sounds weird, but I know like walking into 2020, I was prepared to like not do anything. I was prepared. Like January 1st, I was like, I'm not doing shit. I'm not posting shit. I'm not doing shit. Maybe I'm sensitive to the beauty industry, but the beauty industry has moved so fucking fast. It's been like a bubble that has to some extent become a little bit not about beauty. And that's what was really bothering me. I was like, is it about beauty still? Like, cause I know why I got into beauty. I got into beauty because I felt ugly and it made me feel powerful and it made me feel beautiful. And it made me feel like I was like, yes, I transformed temporarily, but then I realized it was me and I didn't need the makeup. It was not about the product. It was about me. And beauty kind of took this route that I, I wasn't really, I haven't been so like, I haven't been feeling it to be honest, which is why when you saw our wishful campaigns, I was like, no Photoshop, no makeup and all these things. And even when we did mascara, when we launched our mascara, like my team came to me with these amazing ideas for campaigns. And I was like, I really think we shouldn't do any of that. I think it should be only about the mascara and it should be about the product. Do you think the beauty industry got just like overrun by marketing? Is that what you mean? Just like overmarketed? No, I feel like it is like, it became about money, you know? And maybe it's always been about money, right? Like big beauty, I always call it big beauty, right? The conglomerates, like they've always been about marketing to people, creating a certain image and, and saying a certain story to people. And maybe the lack of is why you need the products. But for me, it's like, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people did not get into beauty for that reason. A lot of people, we got into it because of the emotion it made us feel, because of the empowerment, the strength, the you know, that, that temporarily thing that we thought was from the products, but we didn't realize was just us with, you know, this as, as the, as a tool. But, um, but I feel like what happened was like, you know, we like PE firms got into makeup for the wrong reason. So many people started entering, right. All these people were like, Oh my God, money. They saw like Kylie Jenner and they were like, Ooh, money. Right. 
like Kylie Cosmetics, let's all like go in there because like all we need now is to match a celebrity with with money. And and I think to some extent, some of it's worked, right? Some of it, some of the celebrities they've done have genuinely loved the makeup. But some of it, I mean, you know, no disrespect, but some of it, I'm like, wait, that is questionable, <laughs> you know? And um, some of it doesn't make sense. And now you have like all kinds of like left, right, and center, new brands. Some of them don't even have it, people in it. It's just like just cash analytics. Grab. How can we yeah. Yeah. get data? Yeah. What are people searching come up with this product? And honestly, I can tell you guys right now from all the people who came to us when we were starting our brand and when when our brand started taking off, all the the PE firms, the conglomerates, like we were hearing so many stories about how they were just so interested in beauty being the next like bubble that was like, you know, similar to the tech bubble. I mean, the amount of conglomerates, PE firms, you know, like venture capitalists who were coming into makeup, it kind of like for me, upset me because I was like, this is not right. This isn't why we get into beauty. We don't get into it for the money. We come into it because of what it gives people. We get into it because of the passion, because of the emotion. And I just felt like, you know, with all the, you know, there was also like so much crazy, like, you know, like bad drama in the influencer industry too. And the beauty was like, everybody was doing all these tactics to make money. Um, and it became all about the short term gain. And I was just like, this is not, this is not beauty. This isn't it. I do think like for 2020, a lot of people have been turning to beauty for self-care, skincare, and certainly that was good timing with um, your latest venture, which is Wishful Skin. So we've tried the scrub and we've tried the the Clean Genie and the Honey Bomb. And what's coming next? We have not tried this yet, but it's called the Get Even Rose Oil. So we wanted to ask you about that. Wishful is like a baby to me, like another one of my babies. Huda Beauty has been like my, my makeup baby. And now Wishful is like the, I feel like it's like the evolution of where, where, you know, I've come like from applying all the makeup, having to learn how to take really good care of my skin and honestly never having good skin. Like as a teenager, never, ever really having like this, like I remember seeing like, even as an adult and um, especially when I got into, and, and, and Instagram came around and, and all these filters came around, it was like, you would see all these influencers like, and you, I was like, do, are they using a filter? Are they not? Why is their skin so good? Where are their pores? You know, like, I don't understand. How do you put highlighter on and not see like all the holes from your pores? I just don't get it. Like, are people just born or like, are like, just, there's like a, a version of like beautiful people who are just born with like no pores. And so, Dolphin um, skin. <laughs> um, and so I was like, I was kind of like, like, how does this happen? And then I, I realized, yeah, a lot of it is genetic and those people are very blessed. Um, and good for you if you're blessed, but like, you know, for the people who aren't like, what can we do? Like, how can we kind of combat that? And so I became obsessed with skincare, but I was, I still was like using a lot of like, maybe I was using too much. I, I don't know if I was necessarily doing the right thing. And when, when it came down to launching our own skincare, I started to be very, like very meticulous, but also like very gentle on my skin. Mm-hmm. That was like really important. I wanted some things that were going to be like, you know, super, super gentle, super basic, make it really easy. Cause I felt like that's what my skin needed. My mm-hmm. skin was like always angry. <laughs> and so we launched with um, Yoglo, which is still one of my favorite products in the entire world. It's a scrub. I can't scrub my face for the life of me. It just always breaks out as soon as I scrub. And this one I like, I use all the time. But then this Get Even Rose Oil, like these two products are my babies. Rose oil with like, um, with Yoglo, game over. Like your skin has to get better. How do you use it in your own routine? So I use the rose oil at the, I actually use it day and night. Um, in the morning, sometimes I just put it on by itself, depending on like how, like how much of a rush I'm in. Um, for the most part, I don't always have time to do like a whole routine in the morning, but in the evening, I actually use it at the end. So it's so funny. We did that. We, we talked about this before, but like people sometimes don't use a skincare in the right order. 
And it's all about molecule size and oil has one of the biggest molecule sizes. So if you put oil right after you wash your face, you're basically plugging up, you're clogging your skin. You're not going to allow your, like all your benefits from your serums and your moisturizers. So Mm -hmm. oils always go at the end and I apply it at the end of my routine. And I heard you call it your magic oil. It's a true story. So um, when we were, when we were looking to get investors, well, we were actually looking at the time. One of those strategics had come to us, one of the big, big beauty brands, right? Big companies came to us and they were actually the first one. And they were telling us about some of the other brands they invested in. And one of the founders was there and he was like, you know, oh, so we created this rose oil. It's the most potent rose oil. It was so amazing. And, you know, it's, it's got all these really expensive, beautiful ingredients and they're going to change the formula because it's too expensive. And I was like, so fast. I was like, what's, what's in it? What's, what is what's about it? And then I actually, I bought it and I like noticed my skin just improved so much. And I was like, hoping they wouldn't change it. And then like, I saw like, you know, within a couple of years, they actually, um, within a year, actually, they changed the like, ingredient list. And I was like, we need to make it like, we need to make the old school one. And maybe if you guys can make it better, make it better. I'm down with that. And so I had like a couple of bottles of all the old rose oils um, that I had from this, from this brand. And my skin had like all the acne scars that I had were going away. All like the unevenness, those blemishes, like my skin had like instantly become really even. And like, it was, it was crazy. Like I would see people like who would burn from like the sun, get sunburns were like bright red. And I would give it to them. They would be brown the next day. I was like, this has healing powers. It's magic. And so my team kept working on a rose oil and I kept trying it like half my face. I try half my face with the old one and then half my face with this new formula. And then finally, I remember I was in Iceland in 2018 and they gave me this, this new one. And I was like, holy shit. Like I can actually tell which side I used after two days, like half of my face is brighter than the other side. It's more even, all the scars are gone. Yeah. Like, what did you do? And then, yeah, and then we, we, we're launching it now. So it's, it's, I've been using it actually since the very beginning with Yoglo. And I feel like it's like, these two products have transformed my skin. Even during COVID, I see so many of my team members and their skin looks amazing. They're always like, it's the rose oil. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> telling everybody. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Jill and I are going to spend like, a lot of time after this trying to figure out what the oh, what that original yeah i'll be googling <laughs> I, i'm picking up clues she's i was like iceland like i'm picking up yeah clues we love now. some anyway. trivia <laughs> and i know that you've talked a lot about uh, like <laughs> feminism and the idea of feminism and beauty and how they intersect so um do you consider yourself a feminist and really what does it mean to you i went through a journey as a feminist. Like I went through a period when I first became CEO where I was like, I have to be super alpha, I have to be super aggressive and I have to show people I'm serious. And, and that was like a mess because it was like me acting out of my ego versus being who I was really meant to be. Um, and uh, that mm-hmm. I wasn't happy either. And so now I've learned like, you know, just to tap into like who I'm, who I actually am and to feel empowered and strong and to also like, you know, to, to make sure you know, whether the man or woman that I'm working with, no matter who they are, understand that just because they're a man doesn't mean that they're not going to be sensitive. Um, you know, and just because they're female doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, be a certain way. So, you know, not be capable. Like that's just, that would be insane. So I feel like it's just, it's understanding that we're all different Mm -hmm. and good, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like great, you know, because of that. I feel like we've all as females and in the workplace gone through that kind of evolution, right? There was that old school, like stepping on each other to get to the top. And now it just feels like we're really in a new place. That's like, guys, we're stronger together. We, you know, we have to look out for each other, right? In our business, we actually like, I know this might sound crazy, but like people who like step on each other, like we, we just, we don't tolerate it, to be honest. Um, We're like a business, like we actually give people bonuses, like part of their bonus 
is based on their attitude and how kind they are to their team members. So like, for me, I feel like, I feel like that's going to change. Like people who like step on other people or try to like take all the credit or try to show off in front of like certain people and then tear people down. Like I can't imagine like having to go to work and being like worried about my workload and worrying about the stress of like, you know, feeding my family and then having to think about like my colleagues taking me down. Like that's just, that's not a work environment that we ever want to create. And we don't, we don't tolerate it. So I, I honestly think it's a time of the past. I don't think it's, I think it's so mm-hmm. outdated and any company that it, like, you know, supports that, I think that they are going to, they're going to struggle in the future with like loyalty and also customer, you know, employee um, retention. Do you have time for a quick rapid fire? Let's do it. Let's do it. So what was the wackiest <laughs> hack in your YouTube videos that looking back, you're like, I can't believe I even did that. <laughs> I, I didn't like putting lube on my face. That was not, it wasn't good either. It was gross. It was I used gay. it as a primer, like right? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it was bad. It was so Um, bad. What's your number one drugstore foundation? I love Maybelline. I actually love Maybelline as a brand. Uh, Maybelline Mm -hmm. Fit is so good. And what's the one cult favorite spendy skincare product that you think is actually worth the money? The Orchid Imperial um, Concentrate from uh, Guerlain. Like it is so expensive. And I know like, like they've given it to me before, but even like when they give it to me, I'm like, I hold on to every drop and my husband tries to steal it. And I'm like, no, boo. No, I love you. You look good. You don't need it. <laughs> it's it's really, it's like, I think it's like $500. It's so ridiculously expensive. Um, so I don't buy it often, yeah. but it's- And the blue oh. jar, you can't go wrong. It's so nice. And you're at the top shelf. <laughs> yeah, I get sucked in by that. Yes, so, so good. Aside from your skin, <laughs> aside from your skincare line, um, I feel like you've been doing a lot of at-home, like DIY stuff, back to the DIY. What's your best at-home quarantine skincare hack? I mean, one of the easiest, which I still go to often is um, actually just mixing in um, like sugar, even like sometimes baking. So I know some people don't like baking soda, but mixing it in with your cleanser and actually just using that as a scrub. Um, I think that's really great. I actually love to use it with on my body. I love it so much. Um, actually, I, sometimes I'll just take like literally just like a, like a scoop of sugar, a scoop of baking soda, put it in my cleanser and just like literally, especially my, my chest area. I haven't given love to my chest the way I have my face. And when we do photos, you see it. <laughs> it's like, what about hair? What's your Holy Grail hair product? I have been loving, um, Briogeo, um, their hair mask. I swear it's transformed my hair. I have like coarse hair and it used to be like very curly and now it's kind of like, it's insane. It's like, it's not curly and it's not like straight. It's like very interesting. <laughs> so this is kind of, it's kind of helped me restore my, um, my curls. I know a lot of people love the Olaplex and the, the bonds, um, the bonding elements from Olaplex, but for me, Briogeo has been like the best. I love it. The don't despair hair mask. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love yeah. That. I think awesome. it is. Yeah. The don't despair. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the most so Southern thing about you? That I love pie. I like love pie <laughs> so much. It's so fun. It's so funny because now my husband, like he's Portuguese, you know, so he's just like, what the hell is pie? And now he's obsessed with apple pie. I'm like, I love, love, live for apple pie. Most treasured item in your closet? Right now, so we're moving homes. Um, or we've just moved to our new home. But my husband bought me this. It's pretty, it's, it's, this is pretty extra. But uh, when I was blogging back in the day, um, I was working really closely with Chanel. And they had this Chanel bear brick. 
um, that I was just obsessed with. And I always like wanted to have one day, but I just never thought it was possible. And when we first got our investment and we were able to like, you know, to, to be able to buy things, my husband bought it for me for Christmas, um, in 2017. And I love her <laughs> so much. Her name is Gabrielle. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> obsessed. She's cute. <laughs> That leads into our last question. Our last question is, what's the beauty advice or mantra that you're passing on to Noor, your daughter? You know, feeling like she doesn't need to to be in any mold or to live up to anything, you know, especially like being her mom, I've always been worried that like there was just added pressure, you know, from my job, from the, like the social pressure. So I always want her to know, you know, she's been tried, she's been begging me to become a YouTuber since she was five. And I've told her not yet, like she needs to understand everything. And, you know, I like her to wait until she's 18, (laughs) Um, but you know, I just want her to be herself, you know, and I worry sometimes, you know, it's funny. Cause like literally this morning we had a social meeting at 8am and she was in the meeting and she didn't want to leave and she wanted to be a part of it. She wants to hear everything. She wants to comment on the trends. She wants to be a part of everything. And so I don't want her to feel that pressure. You know, she likes it and she's enjoying it. Amazing. But I want her to be who she's meant to be. If she wants to be a carpenter, if she wants to be a vet, if she wants to, you know, be an artist, I just want her to, to, to feel that sometimes I worry with my job about like the pressure it puts on her. I don't want her to ever feel like she has to be anything other than like Noor, you know? Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday. Cherry bomb, you are the cherry bomb.